Oh, guess what? I'm going to a Gorillaz concert tonight. I'm like, oh, I saw that on your story, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. I, where, yeah. they, yeah. where are they playing? Uh, the O2 at like oh, 6.30 uh, or something. So Nice one. Nice one. Well, hopefully I'll be done talking about jazz by then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sidetracked, the music podcast. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Sidetrack Music Podcast. Um, this is a pretty special one. We've got our first ever interview. Um, but before I introduce the interviewee, I must say the traditional hello to Zach. How are you doing, Zach? Hello, Jules. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, Zephyr, what's going on? Uh, it's good, yeah. I've changed my hair. <laughs> yes, Zeph has gone through his weekly hair dyeing phase. We, I now, always I forget know, that how, people can't see us. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you describe I, I've the colour right hair. now? Um, it's just bleached. I'd say it's like, it's bleached, but it's not fully bleached. So there are some spots of like brown, which is not great. Um, <laughs> but this is very sidetracked already. So <laughs> we should probably move swiftly on. I'll get on to introducing our interviewee who is Marcel Pusey. Um And I mean, I've, I've, I've gone on your LinkedIn, Marcel, and I've, I've found some, some dates and some facts. So I will read out oh, your numerous achievements. Me. Very well researched. I'm very impressed. That's what we okay. do. Um, so, I mean, there, there are two sides to Marcel's coin. The first side is his band, Bassistry, um, which he founded. Um, they released... In Time, their first album. First album, am I right? In Time, in 2005. It's um, actually a second album. Tr- we, had, we had an album called, we had an album called Bass History before that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. So, uh, second album in Time, 2005. Mm. Try it's not in the LinkedIn, maybe, did I? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that was there. Well, anyway. Um, and then, more recently, in 2015, they released What the Hell Do You Call This? Which was uh, the critically acclaimed and featuring... Very impressive credits, such as Robert Logan, Plan B, and Paloma Faith, among others. Um, and uh, wow. he's also composed for BBC programs, ITV, and Channel 4. Um, and the other side to Marcel's coin is uh, kind of music education. So throughout his career, he's uh, been creating educational workshop programs for schools with bassist in music. In 2011, he co-founded My Band, uh, a songwriting course, which is how um us three know marcel um and 2019 he also co-developed an educational music library for primary and elementary schools so lots of things going on it's very cool but anyway marcel thanks for joining us how are you it's a pleasure yeah no i'm very well indeed actually so it's, it's good to good to speak to you all well thanks yeah thanks for coming on um so as as usual we're gonna do the brief for part one of the podcast um and as the guest marcel has set the brief so what what brief did you set for us marcel well i I went for a go-to album a go-to album that um you probably never spend more than a month or two months without listening to a track from that album um and uh yeah and also you know for me it's probably an album which i'll always use as the the benchmark as of something that in terms of writing to write something so comprehensive and so, you know, so distinctive. Yeah. Just a brilliantly put together album, you know, so that, that's it. Yeah. Go to albums. 
And mine is In Rainbows by Radiohead. What makes what makes In Rainbows such a such a good album for you, Marcel? Um, well, firstly, it's just got great tunes. I mean that that the, that's the starting point for any album. They're just great music. But then, as you delve deeper um, with Radiohead, that that song, the the actual album has so many different styles on it. But you wouldn't actually focus in on the fact they're different styles of music. So you had you have electronica, you have kind of acoustic, you have really heavy tunes um and it also has different time signatures uh that again you wouldn't sit there going oh that's five that's five four or whatever you know it it all just feels very complete so it's one of those albums that it's um it's got so much it's such a layered album it's got so many things going on but it's just a great listen um and i just love albums which have a variety of styles on them um and i think um radiohead in terms of um sonically as well um the way that the yeah the soundscapes they use um you know i aspire to in in terms of um, how they go about doing that um so yeah i just think it's just one of those albums that you there's not not a track that doesn't there's no fillers on the album as far as i'm concerned yeah brilliant should we play a clip of one of the songs yeah do you you have a particular song that you want to play well i could it's a really hard one out here but i i think one let's go weird fishes is the track um partly because it it just in terms of it's just um i I don't know how they came up with it but um i'm sure they jammed it uh, but there's all kind of almost different layers of times playing together um, and the imagery that it conjures up is is fantastic and also just what it's trying to say is great so it's got so many different layers to it it's just a fantastic track with fishes uh from in rainbows by radiohead um also you wanted to talk about the the arrangement of this track yeah i mean the great thing about this track is if you think about it it starts off with the drums and the guitars come in and then it just develops and all the different parts start coming in but they they come in in a, in a way that is kind of a surprise and musically it's a surprise um but yeah, so the layering is is the thing that uh, it unveils itself, and then even the the the, sub, the subject matter, it, it's it's like a journey. This song, you know, and it's it, yeah, it's got so many different facets, and I, I think just not just musically, it's it's also the lyrics and stuff. So yeah, it's just so well arranged, mm. and it has really kind of cool rhythms going on during, during the kind mm. of whole thing. It's really kind of interesting. it piques your interest as it starts playing. You're like okay, and then it. Very, very atmospheric, I think I'd say. 
Uh, it, feel, it feels like it's not a very standard um, like structure and like everything being introduced isn't introduced all in like the same increment every four bars or whatever it normally is or whatever you want to stay as normal but it, it doesn't feel like that and everything kind of feels like it's coming in at odd times which yeah like you said before piques your interest and keeps you kind of on your toes when listening to it which then I guess makes everyone want to listen to it which is why it's such a good track but yeah exactly yeah I mean, music that's surprising is often the stuff that piques my interest the most because we can get quite bogged down and just listening to stuff that kind of repeats and is very predictable. And that stuff is very easy to be background music. But if this is played in the background, I'd kind of like, I'd hear something like that that's surprising when it comes in and, and I'd suddenly be like, oh, wait, what was that? Um, and you'd start listening to it again, um, which I think is it's something that's great about um, this album a lot is that some of it could be, could work as like background music um because a lot of the stuff is very like textural um they use lots of strings and like electronic um, instruments yeah um, but there's also like a lot of surprises in it that would make you go like stop and just think oh maybe i should really listen to this because this is like this is really great stuff mm. i think that's a really good point I, one of the things i've always thought about tom york who's a singer he actually sometimes you, he, his enunciation you, you're not too sure what he's actually saying, but he just uses his voice al- almost like another instrument, and it's just another part of of the you, you just said as an instrumental you could have as an instrumental. Well, it's just part of the whole musical. You know, it's just another melodic line that's in there which sits at the top, but that's you know, it, it, and so yeah, they have it's got that real orchestration um, about it, which which uh, mm. makes it a very compelling piece of music, yeah. Also, another point, um, actually almost like a quiz question. Um, do any of you know the very obscure electronic instrument that is um, that features on this album? There, no, it's the Ons Martineau. Yeah, the, the Ond Martineau. Yeah, it's a really cool instrument, actually. It's a French instrument, isn't it? Yeah, I was, so I was listening to the album and I heard some kind of weird like gliding electronic instruments. So I looked up what it was um, and I was quite surprised to find that it was this very like archaic old, one of the oldest electronic instruments in the I world. I think it's, yeah, it's one of the um, oldest. Maybe as old as wow. the theremin, I think. I think it might be as old that as the theremin. That had kind of only been used in, <laughs> yeah. So, yes, so where, uh, where did you, the same time. where did you hear that, Zach? Um, so I heard it in Body Snatchers. Um, it's used in like the bridge, um, kind of mix up the instruments i think yeah um i think it's johnny greenwood playing it johnny greenwood or it is uh, because he's the one that's he's a big fan of he's really good friends with um this um art musician art music musician i can't remember which one i think it might be steve reich but he's or maybe not steve Mm -hmm. reich messi messian or something he's really good friends with them and no messian's Messian's not live i think it might be steve reich and they (laughs) they they kind of make because johnny greenwood's actually really a really talented musician he makes those orchestration like big orchestra music not just kind of like Mm -hmm. um the like the stuff from radiohead he's done loads of other stuff as well and he uses like Mm. really Mm. weird like old instruments like the Ons Martino. I think that's how it got used in this song. So yeah, it's quite cool. Not this song, but Actually, this I album. Could describe a bit. Um, I could describe a bit yeah. how it works to those of you who don't know, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, how could you not? I mean, such I, mean a... I don't think anyone knows, to be honest, Zach, until you're about to say, <laughs> yeah, so you say I, I, to I, those I, of you. Zach, Zach, <laughs> educate us, please. This is, uh, this is good stuff. Right now, <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Um, so, I think at the time of the creator's death, there are only about a hundred in the world. Um, 
and not many have been created since. Um, and it's kind of like a keyboard, um, but you play it um, with one finger, which is also looped through a kind of uh, ring along a wire. Um, so as you play each note, um, the ring glides along the wire, which kind of creates this very smooth transition between each You don't note. actually play so you, the keyboard. You actually use that just as um, a kind of reference for where the notes are. So the keyboard's just slightly below the string. The string sits above the keyboard. So then, you're like you said, you press the string, but you can see where, which note you're playing because otherwise it'd be impossible to work out what it, note you're playing. It's an incredibly unusual instrument, um, mm. and it's kind of only done justice by looking at a weird demonstration by some music nerds on YouTube. Um, but I was wondering why Johnny Greenwood um, decided to even use this instrument. Um, and I, I found this really interesting um, interview um, where he said that he can't sing. Um, so <laughs> he's always wanted an instrument that is kind of close to singing. Um, and he found that, that this quite beautiful instrument that kind of glides between each note is the closest he could find to an instrument that sings, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so yeah, um, I found it on Body Snatchers. I found it on. Um, I found it also on um, um, Jigsaw Falling Into Place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you can find any other examples. Yeah, now. no, it makes it. You know, now it's funny because I hadn't even thought about what that the sound. I know exactly the sound uh, that you're talking about on those particular tracks. Uh, I had no idea it was that instrument, but but that tells you a lot about Radiohead and actually the components of the different musicians who make up that band, they, they're all totally curious about music and their, mm. the, the idea, whether it be electronics, because to me, that's a similar mentality to using electronics. What you're doing is you're creating an atmosphere or in that case, they're using a very strong melody line, which, which suddenly kicks in. And it's so, it's so crucial to that track in terms of the, those particular tracks you're mentioning um that i love that experimentation that they do with the textures of their souls you know they write the pieces of music but it's a lot more than that and they all kind of you know johnny greenwood and and i think they all contribute to it i mean i know that the guitarist um oh what's his name yeah he he's similar he, he in kid a he they they went back to just experimenting with um you know, guitar sounds and, and, and yeah, just rather than actually playing it, it's just how can you use different textures with the guitar within our music? You know, they, they're just very experimental like that and admire them for mm. it. Mm. And Tom mm. York and his solo stuff as well. He does a lot of um, kind of ele weird electronic stuff and very odd, like, I mean, and it's all very experimental, which is quite, it's quite interesting. I, I mm. yeah, I think it's really cool. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Marcel, you say you say curious, and yeah. I think that's a really good word to kind of describe, especially this album. It's like, it's like they're kind of just exploring, like what they can do and the kind of music. Is they're kind of just mm. they're curious about what what they can do, what they can like achieve, and in turn, it makes the listener curious to be like, oh, like that, you know, that to go go mm. look up some obscure old French instrument. It's a very, very unique sound. There's a track at the end, videotape, and and the the story behind that track is is that uh, I think Tom York was getting very frustrated. They kind of finished it, but they 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 wanted some sort of rhythmic track or something. And I think Tom York had to go out of the studio. And the I think it's Landau. I think that's the producer. I could, I, ooh, I could be wrong here, but um, and uh, Johnny Greenwood worked on it and they whatever they they use they use some sort of 
um, device, which I don't know, but I don't know if they t- turned it around backwards, whatever. But it became, if you listen to that track and you listen to the drum track, it's not even drum track, it's just a strange electronic thing. And, and then I think um, Tom York came back in the studio and it's like, that's it. You've got it. That is it. And it's it's the oddest rhythmic track, but it so works with that track. You know, um, I don't even know how they came about thinking about doing it, but um, it's yeah. Yeah. Should we play that rhythmic track now? Actually, for the listeners, yes. um, to see that if they can get an idea. And yeah, his videotape from In Rainbows. It's just like you were saying, Marcel, um, they got this very odd beat and they used that as a solution to their frustration with this track not being quite right, um, which I find very interesting because often when musicians are stuck, they'll go back to what they know, what like the musical norms are, um, and often it'll just be kind of very, very normal, like very, um, very common and nothing very interesting just as a solution to their problem. But what Radiohead often do um, is they'll strive for something completely out there and they'll kind of, they'll take a risk and they'll dare to go for something more and um, something that no one's ever really heard before. And they'll use that as a solution for what they want musically, um, which is what I find really interesting about Radiohead is that, as we've all been saying, they're just incredibly curious musicians. um, And it's just very inspiring um, to see a group like that at the top of um, the musical world, um, still able to be curious and going out there with, whatever they want to do. Um, anyway, I think we should move on. Yeah, we um, should move on. So speaking of curious, um, the album that I've brought um, is called Unlocked um, by Denzel Curry and Kenny Beats. And they, so it's not a standard hip hop like album. So most hip hop albums kind of have, they feel kind of all like, I, I'm explaining this awfully, but um, they feel like um, kind of just an assortment of lots of different tracks, kind of all in a similar style. And you can kind of, you could pick one track and another track and they'd kind of, mm. you wouldn't really be able to tell the difference. Um, but what I like about Kenny Beats as a producer um, is he always goes for these very strange kind of different style uh different like samples and he, he always brings in loads of weird samples and loads of weird sound effects and it kind of just makes something different which is the kind of hip-hop i like um so yeah and also denzel curry as well as a rapper is very 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 strange he can do these really weird things with his voice and he can make it go super deep as if it's been pitch shifted but it's actually just him doing it with his own voice and then he can also go really high which not i don't know many rappers that really do that they kind of they kind of just have a standard voice that they use but he uses really strange voices um but i i keep coming back to this album because I just I like how it's all one big journey. It feels like a con- each song kind of goes into the next song really perfectly. And I know a lot of um, artists do that nowadays, but I really like the way it does it in this one um, because each each kind of one does feel separate, but then it, like there's all a, there's a coherence throughout the whole album, which means I whenever I listen to it, I don't want to listen to just one song. I always want to listen to the whole album. Um, 
And I, the reason why I found this um, album, actually, because I think it only came out in 2019. It's a pretty, no, 2020 even. So it's a pretty, 2020 actually. Yeah, yeah. it's a pretty new album. Um, but I still keep coming back to it every couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, so, sorry, as I was saying, the way I found it um, was on YouTube, um, as it has this 20 minute long video, which is, again, a story, which is what, which got me into like the kind of whole story idea of it. And it's basically about them having this album and they want to release it and someone's leaked the album on its on on the internet and they're trying to find who leaked it and how that happened so they put this helmet on and they go into the computer to try and find who leaked it and it's it's crazy it's (laughs) like a big video game and each one's like its own art style which is which kind of resonates with the song but it's still the same two characters which is kind of i like that metaphor of the album oh so is that where all the the track names come from yeah, I think so. They've kind of got their own, they've all got their own style. So I think the first one, the one that we just listened to, Take It Back, is in this Japanese horror anime style, I think. Because because right. Denzel Curry, he's um, a big fan of like, I don't think he's very old. I think he's in his 20s. Um, he's a big fan of like cartoons and anime and stuff like that. So he kind of just wanted to bring it all in, which he did. Um and it's yeah it's really interesting i just thought it was quite cool i guess that's why it's it's called unlocked as well because they're like unlocking the computer and trying to um, exactly yeah that that's really cool actually now that you've mentioned that it's put a lot of the tracks into context for me because a lot of them at first felt a bit kind of disjointed and a bit almost random but i feel like if you have the context of the video um it would put a lot of the things that seemed a bit odd to me at first into context um and also sorry as you were saying before um I thought it was really cool um, what Denzel Curry does with his voice because I thought it was being sped up or there was an effect on it whenever he went really high. Um, but apparently, well, according to you, that's just his normal voice. Well, no, some, sometimes it is sped up, I think. The really, really oh, okay. high ones. But when he's sometimes when he just does it quickly, one is on the fly, like in a verse or whatever, that is just him just doing it. Or when he goes super low, I think it's mostly the low one that he does, but he can also do the high one, I right. think. But it's just quite an interesting... It's very impressive anyway. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing which is really uh, interesting, because I, I do know about this guy, because um, he is very much into the whole imagery of, um, uh, uh, did you say anime? Anime, what, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like yeah, the Japanese anime, yes. cartoons. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That's how I found out about, about him. But yeah, it's interesting that his music, he uses imagery as much as within his music. That's that, I don't think he probably... Um, he wouldn't just sit there going, oh, yeah, I'm just a musician. I, I'm sure the whole visual context is absolutely part of the composition and how he, it drives his music. And that's mm-hmm. really interesting in regards to just even the track you play, just even the, the sounds, the drum sound, the groove that, that they used to put that in there. It's got that kind of slightly industrial, kind of slightly odd sort of, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting when you have, have an artist who's influenced by visuals or in, interested by, you know, it could be, you know, which becomes part of the inspiration to their writing as well. Mm. Yeah. And Denzel Curry is actually a big fan of loads of different genres. Um, so he did a cover mm. of, um, Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. And it's brilliant because he, he can show that he can actually do a rock singing voice and it, it's just mm. really cool. I really like him mm. as an artist. I think he's, he's, I think he's a Floridian as in, from Florida. Um, if that didn't make any sense, because I don't, I don't think people say Floridian. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say Floridian. But Floridian, yeah, Florida. He's from Florida, um, from like the, the swampy areas. And he, 
he grew up i think he grew up there in like the kind of ghetto area of that and he's kind of blown up i think from other artists shouting him out and stuff because realizing how talented he is and he also did a song which is very aggressive that was really popular i think i can't remember what it's called um it might be taboo I think it's called, um, but he's, yeah, he's, that's kind of, he's very shouty and very in your face and also very political. Actually, a lot of the stuff he's saying is about um, kind of the stuff, the difficulties he's had, he's had as a young kid dealing with police and all that stuff. And it's, yeah, it's quite a cool mm. guy. And Kenny Beats is the very opposite of that. And he's kind of, he was a very privileged guy living. I don't know where he grew up, but he went to Berkeley. I think it was, um, in America, yeah, he studied music at Berkeley, uh, playing jazz guitar. So he's very kind of the opposite spectrum of him. And then they've come together to create this really, really, really cool album. Um, yeah. I was going to ask about um, jazz influences because um, there's that very interesting section. I think it's about 20, 25 seconds um, where um, they drop quite a few chords that I, I really love. Um, I really got drawn to that section. Um, and I I think they're inspired by um, jazz. I, I was kind of hesitant to say that at first, but now that you said that um, Kenny Beats studied at Berkeley, it kind of it kind of makes sense. Um, so I'd like to talk a bit about those chords now. Um, so what makes them interesting to me and slightly different is that. So the first one, for example, is a an F major chord, um, and what they've done is they've taken the top note and moved it down one semitone which is called a major seven chord. Um, and what this does is it has a kind of, um, at least to me, um, this kind of hauntingly beautiful, slightly sad tint to it. Um, and um, it was used all over jazz. Um, I'm not sure if jazz really kind of invented the chord, um, but it definitely kind of monopolized it um, and used it everywhere. Um, and the next chord, chord is another major seven chord. Um, goes up there um to a flat um i thought i love it when i hear um the influences of jazz in hip-hop um even so late um in the hip-hop scene um because um hip-hop was i think slightly inspired originally by jazz as well um so um i love that that was kind of tied in together Uh actually as you say that it's kind of having a resurgence back the other way so yeah i I think hip-hop definitely did surge from jazz a lot of the original samples were all just old jazz and funk songs a lot of the breaks were from funk like james brown songs and stuff like that yeah um and like a lot of the the kind of choruses a lot of those kind of things would be used i think we mentioned that last episode actually um but it's actually kind of coming back especially in the uk actually which i'm really really excited for um the kind of Mm. the jazz hip-hop scene like artists like loyal carner I think Mouse, uh, Laos mm. the Cat, uh, Tom Mish, like all those sort of artists that all bringing back hip hop, but in a jazzy way I mean, again. Yeah, my my favorite uh, hip hop band has been is, is being Tribe Called Quest, and um, the Tribe Called Quest they they always had that element of mixing in jazz um, within their music. That that's what made them so um, their their samples really interesting and stuff like that. And I think that, yeah, you're right. There's been this history of, of um, hip hop and jazz. And that's why you'll find that jazz I mean, that, that was that kind of blending of, you know, jazz musicians with hip hop musicians. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, 
it's a it's a great mix it's a great blend it's kind of what makes it more interesting to me plus you know obviously the type of wrapping is also important because i think wrapping that gets my attention is is when they can play with the rhythmic use of the words plus the content of what they're talking about but the mixture mm. of those two things makes rap you know i can get very bored when i just hear the same sort of rap just you know just rhythmically exactly the same and uh, talking about you know i don't know something which is very doesn't feel very important and uh yeah but those those musicians those jazz rap the rappers who have that musicality within the music that's what you know gets my ear definitely yeah it's really really interesting well uh speaking of jazz influences i'd like to move on to my go-to album um which um is just a straight ahead jazz album um being a jazz player it had to happen at some point on this podcast that we'd still talk about straight ahead jazz and we're finally there so i'm so sorry um but um yeah you guys have to deal with me talking about jazz (laughs) so this album um is called uh tales from the hudson and it is an album by michael brecker um who we've talked a bit about before on the podcast um um this kind of incredible saxophonist who is featured in almost 900 studio albums in his career um but this is um one of his few solo albums um, having been a sideman for a few years, um, where he just kind of plays quite a few of his own compositions, um, gets to get together this incredible band of jazz giants, um, and release this incredible album, um, in 1996, um, which won the best instrumental, uh, jazz album in the Grammys that year, um, which if you don't know, is a pretty big deal in the jazz world, at least. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, this this is a this is my go to album, um, my go to jazz album really, and it's one of the albums that I recommend um, to people when they ask me for jazz recommendations on the on the rare occasion that I'm asked for a jazz recommendation. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and um, the reason I recommend it is I feel like it um, it it kind of it disproves all of the theories that people have about jazz that often it is you know it's too complicated it's it's boring um there there aren't any lyrics well actually there aren't any lyrics in this one either but um (laughs) it's boring because there aren't any lyrics and like and the recording quality is terrible and stuff like that which i feel like a lot of people have that kind of perception of jazz which is why it isn't really listened to as much um and i sympathize with that because some jazz honestly if you're just putting it on as background music and you're dipping in and out it can tend to be a bit alienating. Um, but I love this album and I'd want all the listeners here to give it a chance um, and listen to it as, as foreground music, I guess you'd call it. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I'm going to um, play a clip from the first track um, called Midnight Voyage, um, which is probably my favourite of this album. Um, and we're going to do that now. Thank you. 
Right, so that was the start um, of the quite simple melody to Midnight Voyage. Um, and there's quite a lot um, to unpack here, at least from me. Um, so one thing that I noticed is that the melody is very simple. Um, it, it's it kind of incredibly simple. It, it only uses about five notes. Um, and it's in this it's minor key, um, which gives a sense of midnight and nighttime. Um, so yeah, as, as the title says, midnight. Um, and, um, but it's not kind of sad. It's more like, it's like nighttime and you're going on a journey or a voyage, if you will. Um, and, <laughs> um, the reason it's like that for me, at least, um, is that the melody is played in, in three different instruments at the same time. So the sax, the guitar and the piano, um, and which gives us this very strong kind of sense of purpose and gives the piece energy. Um, and coupled with that is the fact that um, the bass is playing a note on every single beat, which is um, in jazz what we call as a walking bass. Um, so the bass, the bass player will um, construct their own bass line based on the chords, based, <laughs> based on the chords they see in front of them. Um, and it gives the piece movement um, because it's like you're walking, it's like you're going on a journey. Um, I just just looking at the title and listening to the piece um, put so much of it into context for me. Um, and mm. yeah, it's one of my, one of my favorite tracks. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, um, I think, anyway. I think you mentioned the simplicity of, of you start the story and that you're starting mm. this story and it, it does conjure up exactly what you just said. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, 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 I'm sure it, it moves on, and you get the, the, they take it somewhere else. But the point is they're setting up that story, setting out off on their journey at midnight with that kind of feeling. And you're right, it doesn't feel sad. It kind of feels like, yeah, it sounds like a bit of an adventure. Hey, here we go. Yeah. And the, yeah, and there's something, you know, I think jazz music probably sometimes gets a bad name because um, sometimes that story isn't set up in a way that kind of you just you you kind of lose the thread of stuff so it sometimes yeah. can feel too clever but like you I, I i didn't i didn't come from a jazz background at all but i i found myself there were certain artists you know i got into like Miles davis and you know the, i remember the kind of blue album i love that probably because it was the simplicity of how it was set up those melody lines and then then once you were sucked into it you were prepared to go on that journey with it when it took you somewhere else. And I think, I think maybe that's the, the, the beauty of that tune is that it, mm. it's, it's a very strong melody line and um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the simplicity of that um, sets up for later development in the solos and the improvisation. Mm. Um, so for those of you that don't know, a kind of traditional jazz structure would be um, to, construct a melody over a set of chords and a groove. And then uh, once you've finished playing the melody, um, a number of instrumentalists um, or vocalists will um, improvise over that same chord, uh, chord progression and groove. Um, which, when I say it like that, sounds really weird and makes you think, why is <laughs> jazz like that? Why would you spend time composing a melody only to then just make another one on the spot? Like, what is the point? Um, which is kind of something I ask myself um, every day. You're just um, questioning your whole career in jazz my, right my at this career. moment. You're, you're just like, oh no, what is it? What am I doing? Um, <laughs> um, no, but what, um, what I love about it is that, well, first off, these are incredible improvisers. Um, so I think I, I sometimes stop and think, oh my God, 
this melody that I'm hearing right now is improvised. Like that is incredible um, when you listen to the solos. Um, and the improvisation um, that happens um, first off is different every time. Obviously, you don't get that when you listen to a record, but if you were to watch something live, you get this incredible excitement from the players and just from the audience. Um, and also, when um, someone's improvising, because the people they're playing with have never heard this before, they're all listening intently to what they're playing. And what that does is that everyone is reacting perfectly to what's going on because they're so in tune and so like eager to listen to what's going on because they don't know what's going on until it's been played. Um, and at least for me, when I listen to stuff like this, um, I can just really hear the excitement um, from the players because as Michael Brecker builds a solo later in this track, um, so does everyone else. Everyone, like the, the pianist Joey Calderezzo, starts playing more chords. Um, the drummer starts playing more fills and starts playing louder and the energy just rises and rises. Um, and then when he dies down again, they die down again as well. So everyone's reacting to what's going on. Um, and it's very, they're all very in tune with each other. And it's why I love improvisation and especially this track. Um, anyway, very long rant about <laughs> jazz and improvisation over. We will um, talk slightly more about um, the next track that I want to play for you guys, um, which is called Song for Bill Bauer. Um, and I'll play a bit of that now. Yeah, that was song for Bill Bow, and yeah, I, I really like that one. I really like the energy, it, especially with on the hits. I think that's a, is it on the B? Is that on the end of the A section or? Um, yeah, so that's the that's the bridge. Ah, the, the bridge. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's actually quite interesting because uh, the entire piece is in um, four beats in a bar, and then um, in that middle section they change to three beats in a bar, um, and they have these kind of weird offbeat hits that almost sounds like they're speeding up. Um, and it's like we've been saying earlier, it's kind of unexpected. It makes you listen to it um, and it gives it drive and energy. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Mm. Um, what did you guys think? Um, yeah, I just thought it was, um, the, the album as a whole, it was just very easy listening. Like, like you said, you know, it could, like you were talking about the whole kind of jazz thing earlier and where, how it can easily be background music. And, but, but, also when yeah so i thought it was kind of very very easy to listen to very interesting but when you listen to it as foreground music um and you kind of listen into what what's kind of actually going on it's also very very interesting um and i mean just some really good musicianship and um like what you're saying earlier about the kind of communication and everyone following the you know the improviser and communicating like that i mean that's what jazz is all about really isn't it um and also lots of other types of music to be honest that that's that's what it's that's what it's all about any live music i'd yeah. say is all about a lot of collaboration and making sure yeah. we're all in time with each other but not just in time but kind of keeping the same dynamics you've got the same energy no one's kind of distracted and doing their own thing you're kind of all one big unit making a really cool tune 
Yeah, yeah I, I think that idea about reacting, well, jazz music has that idea where you you are, you can really sense people listening to one another. But it, it follows a similar tradition. If you think about something like, I don't know, Beethoven's Fifth, you get da-da-da-da. Mm. Well, they take that theme and and the, what's written using segments of that theme with it and then coming back, you know, that it's a similar thing the story that you get in classical music for some pieces and stuff. Yeah. Right? Whereas with jazz music, you'll hear that theme. They'll, they'll take that theme and they'll take it somewhere else, but they're making it up as they, they feel, you know, that, and that there's the excitement about jazz when it's done well. But I do think the thing that I really have loved about what I've heard so far is those tunes. I could go out and I'd be singing that tune. I, I that, that, that just, just that melody, just even that bridge that's just there, I would be singing yeah. that, that melody. And I think, you know, that's why it, when you were just saying Jules now, it's uh, easy listening, you just said, I, but not in a negative way. Oh, God, easy listening. So you don't even listen to it. It was easy listening because it's like you're not having to work so hard to go, oh, my God, I, 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 can't, I can't process this, you know? And I think, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, and which is what I was saying earlier about how ch- instrumental music doesn't need lyrics but well, obviously it wouldn't be instrumental music at that point jazz you've taught us something very new today Zach thank you very much <laughs> jazz does not need lyrics um, some people often are like where are the lyrics like what do I sing along to um, and it makes me quite happy that you said that you'd be singing along to that um, because with the combination of the, the guitar and the sax together I feel almost sounds like a voice um, with these very long held notes um, and it is very singable. And I just sing along to instrumental music. It might sound a bit weird. Oh, um, same. But Especially yeah. solos that you start to learn. You kind of like, oh, I love this exactly. solo. You're going singing. You might probably sound like an idiot in the street, but um, <laughs> or in the shower or wherever you like to sing. But you know, it, it doesn't really matter because it's a good melody, and that's that's kind of the yeah. beauty of it. It's a great melody, um, mm. and I think it's very ties in with the fact that um, while words and lyrics can tell a story so too can instruments um, when, you know, the instrumentalist feels very comfortable with their instrument and they use that as a tool to express what they're feeling. Um, so it's a completely different wavelength to using lyrics, which is also a completely different art um, mm. and another skill as well. Well, I think, I mean, as uh, t- speaking of instruments expressing emotions and stuff, we're going to move on to uh, my album mm. because I, I already realised this is already a very long episode. So apologies but um, I'm going to try and keep mine relatively short. So my go-to album is Supernatural by uh, Santana. Um, Santana is a band technically, but uh, led led by um, Carlos Santana, who's a kind of lead guitarist uh, and singer. And this album is a really kind of exciting blend of Latin jazz, rock, and kind of hip hop as well. Um, it's really cool. The whole album is really interesting as it kind of takes you on a journey through all those um, genres. The most well-known track is Smooth, uh, which they did with uh, Rob Thomas, which incredibly well-known track, amazing song. And um, I mean, the, the, what I really like about the whole album is how, so they get in lots of feature artists. So most of the tracks are featuring someone else, usually singing. Um, and they, but and Carlos Santana is playing his guitar and he does his kind of guitar solos and he's kind of interweaving with the lyrics and it's kind of it's it's part of it's almost like another 
vocal instrument in in how he's kind of playing around in between the verses and stuff and i mean the whole it's a it's a absolutely masterful guitar playing but um i'll play what one song well the the, the song that from the album that i'm going to play now which is not smooth because that's kind of well known and it's slightly slightly different to all the other ones it's slightly less uh latin jazz influenced but it's uh put your lights on which uh they wrote with everlast um and it's much more kind of rock kind of uh vibes but it's a really really emotive song um the lyrics are really interesting very kind of simple chord progression um i'll play it now and then i'll talk a bit more about it afterwards uh so that you can get the idea but here it is uh, put put your lights on by uh, santana and everlast Sinners, put your lights on. Put your lights on. Hey now, all your lovers, put your lights on. Put your lights on. So that was Put Your Lights On from Supernatural uh, by Santana. And I mean, I think you can immediately hear when you first hear the song, um, like that the Hey Now is kind of, it's like kind of calling you, you know, like, like listen into this. Um, and it's, it, the lyrics are actually open to interpretation. So I, I was, I looked up because I was, I was, you know, put your lights on. What does what, what he say? And he's kind of dressed, he's like, all your sinners, all your killers, put your lights on. What does he mean by that? And it looks like what most people think is that he's, he's saying like, watch out. Um, and yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a really weird one. I'm, I'm explaining this really badly, but um, it's, the, it's like the a same. It's like, yeah, you keep exactly. Your yeah. Before you come and kill and you. Because it's, it, it's slightly <laughs> sinister and kind of Something melancholic. Like melancholic as well yeah at the same time because it's very like the mm. the guitar the chord progression that it keeps the same throughout most of the song apart from the kind of bridge bit in the middle mm. um and that's very simple and that's kind of a recurring theme and the melody itself is has very limited note range which really makes you focus on the the lyrics themselves which are quite repetitive but mm. it's this hey now which is i think it's i just think it's mm. really 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 powerful um and combined as they kind of build up the song with uh, the drums which i also really like in the song um it's just i i really like the groove it's it's i just powerful i think is the word I, i'd i'd give it 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 forces you to listen to it and mm. and you you can't I've, i don't know you feel something with it yeah the voice because actually when the voice comes in 
it's quite a surprise where it is, where it's sitting. It's like, whoa, okay, that's that's deeper. And I love the repetition. And you're right. It's it, there's something about when you get a line like that that there you don't need to go away from it for a little while because it sets it up. Yeah, it's it's um, yeah, and it's such a simple chord progression. But yeah. sometimes music that has simple chord progressions like that, it's about what you put on top of it that makes it. You know, exactly. Mm. I also, I also really like the acoustic guitar playing the, that um, chord progression. It's, I think it's a really nice sound. It's really, yeah. It feels really wide. Like it fills up that whole kind of to- uh, what's like the, um, the pitch space, I guess, like the tonal space. It fills that really nicely. And it feels, and then when the, the vocals come, it's really warm vocals. Cause like you said, it's got that kind of deep voice and it kind of, sit, like you said, sits weirdly in the mix, which is actually really yeah. surprising and really nice. And it's, yeah, it kind of feels like a weird blanket, but in a sinister way, because he's, you know, threatening you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I was surprised to find that in this track specifically, there seems to be quite a few like country blues influences on the, um, on the chord progression, um, which is like very different to the rest of the album. I felt, fa- I found, um, kind of very few Latin influences. Um, and I thought it just shows like what a range Santana can do, um, mm. on their musical palette if you will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, th- this is probably the, the track that kind of stands out the most in terms of style. Um, and yeah, cause most of the other ones, much more Latin influenced, um, slightly more joyful, but at the same time, but I think what's really nice about it is that, so there's a consistent style throughout the album, but because they have all these different feature artists on each track, it keeps it really fresh. So there's a slightly different, twist on each track which makes it interesting and i guess everlast takes it the furthest away from the, the i guess your default sound of santana on this track with put your, put your lights on um but i think the cherry on top for every single track is just carlos santana's guitar playing because it's just re- it's just like really soulful and um it's very similar to on the first episode i talked about mark knopfler and the dire straits uh debut album and it's very, I think it's kind of similar to that in that they have these really good songs and they're all just elevated by Santana's, um, Carlos mm. Santana's guitar playing. Anyway, um, I could I could keep speaking that about this whole album because and play a lot of other tracks for hours on end, but we've already run over hugely. So we're going to call an end to part one. But in part two, we'll be doing a short interview with Marcel about his career and influences and all that. So stick around for that. Okay, welcome to part two of the Sidetrack Music Podcast. Um, and now we're going to get into, well, the artist spotlight. But this time we have the spotlighted artist in question with us to talk to. So we can't be too critical. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's going to be more, more of an interview style uh, thing instead of actually analyzing the music and all that. Um, so yeah, Marcel, I don't know. We, we just wanted to, I guess we'll start off with asking kind of what your favorite music was growing up and kind of how that's influenced the music that you make today. Um, I, well, I came definitely from more of a rock background. I mean, I, with my parents, um, they're not musicians, but they, uh, love their music. So there was a whole variety of music in the house. So, uh, you know, from the Commodores to Elvis to whatever, you know, they, they weren't, there was nothing that they wouldn't really listen to. But 
my brother and I got heavily into uh, Queen. Queen. That that was the obsession when we were really young. And every Queen album that came out it, it's very different to what it is now. The album would come out, out, but there'd be a big build up to the album coming out. And because my brother was a really good sportsman, and I was, I, we were at boarding school. I used to be the one, and I was younger. I used, to, he used to give me money to go down to the store to buy the latest Queen album. So I'd have it for a period of time before he even got it. Um, and back in the day with albums, you had the album cover, uh, which a lot of work was put into. And obviously, and, and Queen, I guess Queen is the textures of their vocals at such a young age. I was listening to the orchestration of not just uh, the voices, but the guitar, Brian May, and everything about it, John Deacon's bass playing. It was just... Yeah, that was my obsession. And then I, I was very much into rock music, hugely, hugely obsessed. And when I was at, at sort of for my first band when I was about 10, you know, because we, we were all at school, boarding school. So, yeah, we, we had our own bands and, yeah, so obsessed with music from a very young age. And then it developed into something else when I got to about 17, 18. I started listening to um, I started getting into the whole Led Zeppelin and the Pink Floyds and mm. yeah, and it sort of, it just developed in that way. And then by the time I was very serious, you know, we'd done our first demos by the time we were 14, 15. So I was in a band and we were pretty serious about it. Um, and the guitarist I was with, uh, who is a brilliant called James Joseph, he was a brilliant, he, he, he introduced me to flamenco music weird because he became a really brilliant flamenco guitarist oh. <laughs> big big deviation but he and um <laughs> and Dick, a band called dixie dreads <laughs> that's obscure <laughs> i know i know it's obscure but he he paco pena and paco de la Cia, and um that that's when i started getting into a whole you know really it started going off in different tangents i guess it's the musicality part really because if you think about guitarists you you know you have this virtuosity of, of guitarists and then you you start hearing what their influences are and then you i mean paco de la Cia and um uh th- those those amazing flamenco guitarists started doing the crossover with other t- rock guitarists as well so um yeah and then then it became about composition but there was a band called dixie dregs who were really obscure we used to import their albums we used to get their imports from the states and they were like a a Dixie, they were kind of Southern American, but they did these instrumentals, crazy instrumental stuff, weird time signatures, really difficult to play. Uh, and Steve Morse, who writes the music for Dixie Dregs, went on to join Deep Purple, brilliant, uh, amazing musician. And then I got into jazz. Um, I went to a conservatorium um, in Australia. It's a bit of a strange one, but when I went to Australia, um, I, I went into a music department and my the guy I shared a room with was um, a guy called Lindsay Vickery and uh, he was studying composition and he introduced me to just everything from Eric Dolphy to the Beatles. I'd never really listened to the Beatles. He gave me the whole, he couldn't believe I didn't listen to the Beatles. He gave me every Beatles record and probably all I listened to for about a month. Um, yeah, Eric Dolphy, um, <laughs> Coltrane, um yeah i just got into everything there in the music department because i had to go and play i i couldn't read very well but i could listen quite well 
and I used to have to be in the orchestra, jazz band, all this sort of stuff. And I kind of had to make it up as I went along. Uh, and, and that's when I immersed myself in music. Then I went to a conservatorium there uh, based on my audition, not on, you know, that I, I could write music on bass and stuff like that. And they took me in on my potential. So it, my, my music life has just evolved through um, uh, just different styles or different people around me chucking music at me and it's like oh that sounds interesting and i've gone down so that's kind of how i Mm. but my starting point was good old rock rock music amazing and so given your starting point was rock why was it not the guitar as many young boys would go for why was it the bass uh what drew you in well actually you know what they usually say they say you put the guy on the bass who can't play the guitar well and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> That's me. Yeah. That's me. I can't play guitar, so I'm playing bass. Exactly. Oh, it's only four strings. Uh, um, <laughs> no, do you know what? I always, uh, and this is not, uh, the bass and drums, drummers in particular, I, I love drums, okay? And the bass and drums, I always, it was Sting, um, uh, Deacon um, and I used to love Steve Harris for my maiden. I, it was always the bass players and the grooves that I would be listening to, rather than that. Okay, that's the thing that I just oh, I love the bass and drums. I love that sound. Um, so that that was why I became a bass player. You know, you know, um, yeah, just drawn to the the bass. I play guitar, I, and I play guitar. That's why I started off on really guitar. Um, but yeah, for our band, yeah, we needed a bass player as well. But, um, yeah, I love the sound of the bass. I, I just, I still do, you, you know, if I'm messing around here beyond piano, that I'll play more of my bass than I will play anything else. Nice. So how did you kind of get into the industry of music? So obviously you were playing in bands and stuff and you you said you were recording demos at like 14, 15, which is kind of already in the industry, I guess. But mm. how would you say you properly got into like production and music creation and collaborating with like groups and stuff? Yeah. Well, I, I when we were 15, we, we actually, um, we went up to London. We had the opportunity through a contact at this, there was a big time manager um, and we took our demo up there. We were just incredibly serious. The guy, James Joseph, I, we were just totally, that's what we wanted to do. You know, as soon as we met each other, we were like, we're going to write our own songs, blah, blah, blah. And our parents lent us money to go and do the demos. And we went up and saw a manager um, who used to manage a band called King. King were really big at they were a pop band, but they were really big at a certain time. And he and he's also Dean Ettis, who's the bass player from George Michael. He managed him as well. Um, and uh, so he was our first introduction to the industry as such. Um, and that kind of convinced us, yeah, we're definitely going to go down this route, even just going up there and going to his office and all this sort of stuff. Um, and of course, I was reading all the magazines of Kerrang! was a magazine which i got all the time so i was just immersed within that and that was that's that's what i wanted to try and do but i had no like these days i think you can have mentors you can have people who are in you know you're talking to me i'm in the industry and i know you guys who do my bands well we didn't have that at that time but when i went to the when i went to australia and i when i got into the conservatory i only stayed there for six months but the most important thing was my lecturers, they were all kind of pro musicians who were lecturing. 
And I spent as much time learning as I did having conversations with my lecturers about their lives um, and how they managed to, you know, their experiences, you know, whether it be on doing TV gigs or being in bands and stuff. So I started learning about it from that point of view. It was like at that point I thought, okay, I'm, I am I kind of an idea how I could try about going, making a living. And that's when I returned. The reason why I didn't finish college, I just wanted to get back to London and get on with it. And um, and I also realized that I I was going to have to set up my own business, you know, because um, my mum said I'm not very good at being told what to do, and and it's true. And um, I, I was going to have to find my own way of doing it, you know. Um, and so – I realized, so I went and studied business and finance at uni. I didn't study music. I, I, I came back, and but I just got into the London scene, and it was by going out and jamming with people and making connections. How that's how I got into the industry. It was it was really, it, and you'll realize it's so much about networking. Some of the friends I have to this day who I work with, I met in those early years in London, and um, uh, and a lot of collaboration with people, um, and the business side of things, I'm glad I studied business and finance because I set up my business very early days um, and I knew how to, because we had to do it as part of our course, um, I knew what I needed to do to set up a business plan and stuff and I found the idea um, and then I went with that. So, yeah, I, I was very serious from a very, very young age, you know, about making a living as a music. I didn't feel like I could do anything else or wanted to do anything wow. else, should I say that, yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's quite amazing actually. Um, that you began so early as well. Um, it's quite inspirational to a lot of us. Um, but this is a lot about your performing. Um, but we'd like to talk a bit about um your music education um, programs as well. So, could you tell us a bit about how you got into music education? Um, yeah, sure. Um, um, when I was my bass teacher, my original bass teacher, when I got back from Australia, he said to me. Because um, I was in an African band, I was touring with an African band, and um, he said to me, "Why don't you? You guys are all playing, trying to do it full time now. Why don't you to earn some money? Why don't you also take some of the stuff that you know about African music? So why don't you go into schools and put together a little program of of what you do and take it to school because they they don't necessarily get that kind of input." Which I, which it sounded like a really cool idea, and I, I, and I had my basically to make a living. You know, my band, Bass History, at that time were really obscure. I mean, we were doing instrumental music, and we we're doing you know five eight next to six eight. We were doing all this kind of like music that wasn't going to be selling huge amounts. Um, so um, I needed to absolutely find a way, a revenue stream, and also to keep my musicians start employing them, giving them an opportunity um, to, to keep working with me and also them getting paid. So I, I just developed a, a, an idea of different rhythms and uh, different songs, which I wrote, and we just put it out to a few schools and uh, a couple of schools hired us. <laughs> and uh, we did it, and, you know, it was probably pretty average at the beginning, but we very, very quickly um, – started creating these programs especially for primary schools at that age we were able to to do these things in which we could do the whole school and make it really fun you can imagine a drummer coming in to your school uh, with a bass player and then there, there you are you're doing all this music with these guys right in front of you and and we that 
that we won an you know we won an award in our first year or so that that the the oh. won the Shell Livewell Award for a, for a small business, and we just grew that through and schools word of mouth putting stuff out, just getting better at the programs, and then later on I got into technology. I, I was writing music for who's probably the most important person in my musical career, which is a guy called Mark Welland, uh, but he's a graphic designer. Um, and he was he was just into well graphic design. That's the what he studied. But he was at the forefront of technology. And within my education work, when technology came in, I realised that I've got to use technology as a backup to what I do. And we designed a software called O Generator. Um, whilst I was in school, so we developed that and we put it out there ourselves. And then Sibelius, um through weird connections but we, we were out in australia we were doing some stuff out there and um one of the guys from australia said oh i've got a meeting with sibelius you know when i come over to the uk and he said come in with me uh for the meeting and i'm like why would you do that he's just a great guy he said oh no no i love your program just come in at the end so sure enough i'm there he's doing another meeting to do something totally different they're looking at me probably like who is this guy and then at the end of it that he said, uh, oh, Marcel here's got this uh, music program he brought over to Australia. And I showed it to the guys at Sibelius and immediately they were like, whoa. And um, they eventually, we had a relationship with those guys. They distributed us worldwide for that software. Um, so I had the the live workshops going on and the technology. Um, uh, and we, we still managed that company. We sold the company, but we, we managed the company to this day. Um, and then my band, how I got to know you guys um, through my band that came about through doing a workshop at another private school in North London and the parents said that their kids enjoyed it so much could we do something more you know at the school so we just I just put together this program my band and um and it went really well there and then we had the opportunity uh, lanes and and then we just developed it a couple of other places so and that's close to my heart because you guys all remind me of me <laughs> when um i was your age you know kind of obsessive obsessively into music um uh willing to give everything a go and you know if i'd had that same thing when i was your age to have something just an opportunity to get together with my mates and just play and then perform and everything like that that sounded like a pretty cool thing. And and so that's how my band came across. And, and, you know, we do my band, we do songwriting courses at some abroad in, you know, Hong Kong, we go over there a couple of times a year and we do songwriting weeks and stuff like that. And yeah, so it's just education just bloomed out into different things, you know, uh, over the years and technology playing live and yeah, songwriting. So yeah, that's how it came about the education side. Cool. Um, so quickly also, what's sort of like the future do you see? Do you see these projects kind of expanding more, getting potentially bigger or yeah. So what, what do you think it's going to be like in the next few years? Well, I, well, it's always constantly changing for me. Um, I probably, probably, all right, with technology, we've just launched a new product. So we're excited about that. You know, so that's a focus. We still manage our generators. So with the publishers that we're with an American publisher called Music Sales. Um, so we work with them and that will be ongoing. As a, a, I've got a new album that we're doing at the moment. Um, slightly, I think the way, the nature of musicians is, is 
is in terms of independence and all the different mediums like technology and everything that allows musicians to go directly to their audience. I'm, you know, I think that's the future. I think that's, you know, these days, you you know, doing a, uh, having a record deal and stuff like that. I think there's a recognition that that's not the end all and be all. I think it's about collaboration and partnerships uh, with, you, you can, you can do so much now as an independent, um, uh, so we're, I'm just about to launch something at the end of August called Patron, which is is something which is quite well known. Which in, during the pandemic, it's become even more um, more prevalent in the sense that it allows you know us to go directly to our audience and create content for a smaller group, and, and just have supporters who support you because they want mm. they, they're they're interested in what you're doing, your writing behind the scenes. So that's pretty much what i'm going to be that's the road i'm kind of going down with this new album with kind of be doing a live stream come you know building up to a live stream with the uh, how i write the tunes and everything else that goes with it so i i just see independence and uh, being creative about how you get yourself out there rather like what you're doing now you know what you're doing now is is a, a very good way of connecting with with people who are interested in music and then you don't know who's going to be listening in and then you'll find something comes from the project that you're putting out there because you're talking about those that's exactly how the world works within music you know or in in so many jobs it's it's about being proactive doing something um and putting it out there don't just wait for it don't sit there in your bedroom going yeah i'm just doing it and keep it there it's put out there you've got all these mediums these platforms to put it out there um and and you'll build up your your world in, in as well as going out there and playing, but you'll build up your world uh, a wider audience than you can even imagine by using these platforms. So that's that's how I think musicians will go. You know. Okay. Well, on that um, very wonderful note, uh, it's probably time to wrap up. Uh, before we go, Marcel, do you have any gigs coming up that people can uh, get tickets for? Or well, is it yeah, we we I, one of one of the things which I'm going one of there's two things happening when we launch our Patreon site, we're going to be launching, um, we're going to be doing a live stream gig in which we're going to have a small select uh, 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 people who can come to the gig um, uh, and be there live because the last one we did was phenomenal, uh, but we had no one there because it, but we had a big big old show with it. But this time we're going to open it up, so it's going to be a live stream um, plus audience um at an amazing venue i'm not going to say where it is you can when when the patron thing but if you go to um <laughs> patron um patron.com forward slash basis music um uh you'll see there's information about my my new site um and yeah go to the facebook and you, you'll see with just there's a launch video coming out at the end of the month so uh, we'll be we'll be sure to link that. that in our in this episode so people yeah. can have a look at yes. that and check that out um yeah. yeah brilliant and yeah do do and they're, 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 the other thing i'd say for young people like yourselves um the cassell is um he's he he was a great producer drummer of the streets he's got a um thing with the ivan novellas um uh, where they're taking four young people and he's producing them over the year and helping them with their careers that's being launched um uh in september and i'm part of the panel choosing those uh people so um, I, I will be putting some information out about that. We'll be putting some information out about that. So uh, it's, it'll be well worth just coming in to take a listen to, you know, uh, when I speak to, I'm going to be hopefully doing an interview with him in regards to that. But uh, yeah, some exciting things coming up. 
Nice. Okay, so we'll we'll have all the details of that in the episode notes. Um, uh, also, the my band courses. I know I speak for all three of us when I say I cannot recommend them highly enough. Amazing fun. Um, if that's the kind of thing you're interested in. But uh, Marcel, thanks so much for joining us. Um, thanks to the you guys listening in. It, I know it was a long episode, but thanks for hanging around all until the end. I hope it was uh, interesting and entertaining. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating, subscribe to the podcast, let your friends and family know um, if you think that this is something they might enjoy. But uh, thanks for listening and uh, see you next time. Sidetracked, the music podcast. Yeah.